Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. Amazing insights into one project. Now here is Zach Guzman of Yahoo Finance to explore crypto lending and credit with Celsius's very own Alex Mashinsky, Abra's Ben Liams, and StableTech's Kevin Mabry. Welcome in, everybody. Thanks for joining our panel here at LA Blockchain Summit. We've got a very interesting and spicy panel, perhaps the spiciest title at the whole summit here, How Crypto Lending and Credit Aim to Kill Banks. And it's, uh, we're going to hope we can deliver on the spice here, but uh, very happy to be moderating this one. Happy to see that I was chosen for this one. We've got a great panel here to discuss that very question, how crypto will be killing banks. Uh, I'll introduce myself first here. I'm Zach Uzman, the host of Crypto Corner on Yahoo Finance, the most trafficked business site out there, uh, focusing in on crypto questions, including this one. And with me uh, along for the ride here, we have Alex Mashinsky from Celsius Network. Uh, obviously, one of those large centralized uh, networks here helping people access crypto alongside uh, Kevin Morabi uh, building out uh, things there at Tezos and Ben Lyams from Abra as well. I'll, I'll let them introduce themselves here real quickly, guys. If you want to go around for 30 seconds or so to keep it short, it's less exciting to see only one head on a screen of four heads talking. Uh, Alex, why don't you introduce yourself real quick uh, to the crowd and let them know what Celsius does. Sure. Thanks, Zach. Um, so Celsius is a, a membership organization. We have about 1.2 million uh, uh, users worldwide, manage about $25 billion. And uh, we just crossed a billion dollars in yield. We paid out a billion dollars to, to our community. And that's really the big difference between companies on the blockchain and your traditional banks, right? They stop paying you and they make us look uh, real good, you know, so... We also uh, issue loans, so if you need a margin loan against your your assets, um, you can basically uh, put your assets on Celsius and take a loan, uh, and basically one percent loan from Celsius. Cool, nice, short, and sweet. Uh, Kevin, why don't you go next? Yeah, my name is Kevin Morabi. I uh, build stuff on the Tezos blockchain in the DeFi space. So uh, DeFi on Tezos, it's nascent compared to uh, Ethereum or other more mature DeFi networks. Uh, in fact, Tezos is still incomplete uh, in that it's not DeFi cycle complete without having not having a lending system. But that's one of the things we're developing and com it's coming out uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, and that'll be Tezfin, Tezos.finance. So, um, you know. A lot of parallels there uh, in the uh, lending world, um, stuff happening in Tezos. Uh, also, we uh, developed a Stable Tech, which is the company that does all of this stuff or, or coordinates it in, in the decentralized fashion that it is. It's very hard to describe DeFi entities because they're so they're so decentralized. You know, <laughs> a lot of distribution. Uh, but yeah, so Stable Tech uh, it coordinates the development and uh, for uh, Tezfin, Tezos.finance, Tezx. Tezos Exchange, that's Tezx.io, uh, and also stable Tez tokens, which are stable coins on Tezos, built at Tezos FA token contracts. So with that, we have a USD Tez, which is the first stable coin on Tezos. Uh, it is fiat backed, uh, fully convertible, uh, KYC, AML compliance, uh, and all, uh, and making sure that permitting and, and redemptions and also making sure uh, that uh, people have a good experience and they're using a good contract and really aligning ourselves properly with ethos of Tezos. 
um, uh, and alongside that ETH TES and BTC TES. So yeah, it's kind of that full stack of that DeFi cycle. Uh, that's the stuff I deal with. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, what, uh, it's a really exciting time because Tezos is so new in DeFi and we get to kind of like watch this sprout come out of the ground uh, before it gets to the points of uh, billions of dollars. And we're uh, tens of billions, you know, or the hundreds of billions where Ethereum was at this point. Um, we're at like a hundred million total TVL at this point. So you can see the comparison there. We have yet to scale. Uh, but with that, I think I'm getting long-winded here. So let me uh, pass that over to, to Ben Liams. Yeah. yeah. Much more interesting things, I think. Good stuff, Kevin. Uh, so I'm Ben. Uh, I head up uh, credit and trading at Abra. I think we're best known as a crypto investing app. Uh, we make it really easy to buy, sell, store, earn interest on top cryptocurrencies. Uh, we've been around since 2015. I think we've established a reputation for being uh, uh, trusted, easy to use, uh, available uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, uh, you can deposit by credit card, bank, uh, or wire transfer. Yeah, in some countries, we even support uh, cash in uh, through retail. Uh, uh, if, uh, if you go to abra.com, uh, you can find out more about us. All right, well, let's jump into uh, the main topic du jour here. As we were talking, it's not an overnight quick murder of banks. It's a slow burn, a slow murder, if you will. Uh, and it's taken some time. And of course, there are kind of questions, I suppose, that we're going to get into here when it comes to regulations. But I guess I want to start uh, on the idea of killing banks necessarily, if that's what it even is, right? Because maybe we've drawn people into the discussion with the idea of killing banks but as you just kind of laid out there, Ben, I mean, the interaction with people on-ramping into crypto does require some sort of on-ramp, I suppose, through banks for people to first get started, maybe. Uh, and so I guess we'll start with a question there. I mean, Alex, you and I have talked about this too many times, whether or not it would take kind of killing banks to see crypto uh, achieve the promised land in terms of what it's trying to deliver on here. Uh, but how do you look at the relationship between banks and crypto as it gets built out? Well, look, I think... Uh, Bitcoin definitely has proven itself uh, as the best store of value. It's the best performing asset class in the last uh, 13 years of its existence. Uh, but, uh, you know, traditional uh, fiat currencies are still kings uh, as form of payment. Bitcoin is a horrible form of payment. So each one has its own purpose. And like you said, most of the money in the world is still uh, in the fiat domain, in the TradFi or traditional finance domain. And uh, uh, currently, we only have two basic applications, right? Store value and yield, so which you can't really get from the banking system. So, so I think uh, uh, the longer banks continue to not provide uh, store value solution, not provide yield, the faster they will be essentially go out of business. So uh, it's going to take some time for Bitcoin or Ethereum or some other solution to become uh, dominant enough to start provide the form of payment solution as well. And at that point, there's just not going to be any use case for traditional banks. And yeah, I would, I would think of it, uh, it was, I think it was Billy Eichner. He said, uh, traditional TV isn't dead. It has about three to five years to live. Um, uh, it's a kind of transition where it's not like, it's not like anything goes away or, or, or gets, you know, I think the, the spiciness of the title is because of how morbid it sounds. Uh, you know, the panel, uh, the death, it's like, oh my God, it's going to be a slaughter. No, probably it'll be, it'll be mild, 
Um, I think it'll be there'll be a way to participate that's a bit different uh, from uh, the traditional methods that have been done before. But let's remember that traditional banks are very, very, very good uh, at catching up with technology. Uh, they were the first to uh, institute, uh, you know, the telegram in a data-driven fashion using tickers. Um, and by the 1880s, there were thousands of stock tickers in offices all across Manhattan. 1880s, you know, we think of this, it's like a, a fax machine. That's incredible. Uh, finance picked up on that, right? Uh, what else did finance do? Finance picked up on, um, uh, uh, you know, telephones. There was a time when it was like, oh, you can't do your banking over the over the telephone. Are you nuts? That's crazy. I, okay, yeah, whatever. Maybe in your comic books or whatever, kid. Uh, but yeah, of course, that's a thing that can be done. Um, there's an authentication there. Uh, but uh, and then in the 1950s, you had Bank of America pick up on digitizing computer records. That was before any like industry or you had them in universities for research. I mean, it was a very early time for computers and, and storing data digitally. Um, and so, you know, modern day, what do we now we look back on, you know, Ray Dalio's book, you know, and all that stuff, just picking up on facts and uh, uh, everything else. So traditional money will is money. Money and money will do whatever it can to survive, uh, even if that just means and quite often is going with the flow of technology transformation um, and getting swallowed up is, uh, you know, that, that's a life cycle. That's what it is. That's how technology disrupts. So but I think money will be fine. It's just going to transform. Yeah, I guess that's another good point, too, when we talk about, uh, you know, where DeFi is versus, uh, I guess, some of these more centralized crypto lending platforms or, or platforms that help people kind of get on-ramped into crypto. Uh, and Ben at, at at Abra, I wonder, uh, you know, kind of what you see in terms of how that dynamic works versus how quickly, you know, someone might get comfortable. There was a lot of talk about people maybe not ever using MetaMask. The masses couldn't understand how it works or how to use it. Uh, you know, it's just going to be this fringe people who are into Bitcoin, then get into Ethereum, then get into the rest of DeFi. But I mean, it seems like that's changed pretty quickly over the last year as interest has grown. I think it's kind of like a third animal spirit that people didn't build in their models. But I guess, how true is that in your eyes? What do you see as kind of that dynamic? You know, I think two two dynamics that I point to. Uh, first, from kind of the market opportunity uh, in, of course, right, it seems like this burgeoning interest in DeFi has really accelerated in the past year, year and a half. Uh, and I think we, we see that uh, even inside of ABBA, of course, our, ours is a centralized platform. Uh, it's, it's an app that's meant to make uh, crypto easy to use, uh, but we we hear a lot of interest from our own uh, users. I think from the user's perspective uh, out, uh, I think that's really where you start to see a, a lot of challenges. I, I think you know, kind of learning how to use MetaMask in the first place, uh, I think is is uh, enough of a point of challenge that uh, you know I think the the obstacle that it poses for for people who have expectations to to just sort of uh, a click and be able to deposit into cryptocurrency is something where there's there, there, there's a gap in the UX. And I think uh, uh, probably uh, not just in this room, but uh, uh, in a lot of uh, uh, the cryptocurrency uh, app space, I think there's a lot of innovation uh, uh, coming on that front. Uh, I'll just leave you with one 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 factoid on, on, on this particular question. Um, you know, Avra initially started and launched uh, uh, out in Asia. So it's Maybe a little known fact, it's, it's been now uh, six years. And uh, I want to say uh, in, in a place like uh, the Philippines, where uh, you might you know, not necessarily consider sort of the leading edge of banking and fintech innovation, uh, we're hearing a tremendous amount of growth for people who are 
you know, learning through these play to earn systems and other incentives to be able to use the DeFi, uh, uh, DeFi tools that are available out there now. So I think somewhere between sort of this burgeoning opportunity and people, you know, having the will to learn uh, how to use these tools, uh, I think there's, there's, there's a tremendous possibility that we're going to find an order of magnitude more growth once the tools become easier to use. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the, that's one piece. Alex, we've, you've mentioned this, I think your shirts, the Celsius shirts always say unbank yourself among other spicy things out there. There's spicier things than unbank yourself. That's not even that spicy. But you talked about, you know, fees uh, when it comes to that. And I guess that that's kind of one of the main things that you don't really even need to understand DeFi to really access here when you're talking about people who are using banks. It's just the fees that add up in all of this too. Uh, I mean, how, how big of a draw is that in getting people onboarded who don't really maybe want to come to crypto and, and explaining how it all works? Yeah, so definitely, I think at least uh, 90, maybe even 95% of the population is uh, not capable of farming on uh, DeFi pools, right? I mean, they're just not going to know even where to start. They don't know what's the difference between a private key and a public key. Uh, and especially if they're migrating from traditional finance, it looks completely. Uh, weird and and crazy to them, right? So, so part of uh, what Celsius does is basically you don't you don't have to know anything, you don't have to do anything, right? You just uh, the, uh, put in assets that you have, if it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or stable coins, and they just automatically earn yield every week. Every Monday you get paid out, and uh, frankly, what you have paid out, you will never be able to replicate yourself running around on all these different pools. Because the gas fees and other fees, withdrawal fees, are all going to eat away at your at, at your profits. So, so unless you're a trading maven and you got millions of dollars to move around, uh, you're not going to be able to compete uh, with somebody like Celsius who's deploying billions of dollars on DeFi, right? So, so I think uh, uh, the the main difference between uh, traditional markets and what Celsius does is that in our markets. Uh, the velocity of money, the velocity of dollars is 20 times higher than what the Fed effect effectively transacts with the with the banks, which is 1.2. You can go to the Fred.gov uh, database and look at the velocity of the US dollar, 1.2, down from 2.9 in 1990. So that decrease in velocity tells you that our economy is slowing down and everything that all the GDP we're producing is financial engineering, right? So so here is a market in which the dollar turns 20 times a day instead of 1.2 times a day. And that's really, because of that, it can earn 8.8% on a stable coin, right? That's really the main reason for that uh, much, much higher yield. So most people, you know, who are trying to pay their credit cards or finish the month are looking at that and saying, I'm not going to keep my dollars in the bank. I'm going to buy a stable coin. I'm going to put it in Celsius. I'm going to get up to 100 times more than what my bank pays me, and there's no fees. So it's a very easy decision. And like I said before, the the, the banks that make us look great, the, the other spicy T-shirt we have is banks are not your friends. You know, So if that deliver the message better, I'll go and change. I'll put that one on. <laughs> now, Kevin, I think that that's a good point. When we're talking about DeFi and everything else, I guess you know, to, to further the murder metaphor here, if we're talking killing banks, you know, fees and the ability to make money obviously makes this this death of banks easier. But when we're talking about maybe prices going down, uh, it becomes maybe a little bit harder to, to see. Of course, we've been in uh, quite a bit of a bull run here. Uh, but when it comes to maybe how people are interacting with DeFi platforms and the expectations of returns, 
uh, and I guess you know weighing in uh, risk to all of this too. There have obviously been hacks on some DeFi platforms. I mean, how do you maybe see some of those things turning if prices do go down, uh, whether or not the the growth that we've seen can continue? Yeah, I think a lot of those things are you know they're just part of the growing pains. You know, that's just what happens. I think for the most part, the disruption has been pretty good, pretty strong. Uh, but uh, and what we are talking about uh, and uh, and also build off what Alex was talking about as well uh, is that like this is a reconstruction. You know, we're starting to see this money move into a different direction uh, because it's more capable, because you can do more things, because you have more ability to engage in strategy. Uh, and and with that, there are new products and services, and those are interesting as well. So it's a growing, it's a continually growing field. It'll have its up and ups and downs, uh, but uh, some adaptations occur. I mean, a few years ago, if you were or even like a year ago talking about DeFi, you were just talking about Ethereum uh, and its high gas fees, and there was nothing you could do about it. Uh, but now there's movement in other directions, uh, just like for uh, the other, the actual, the most dominant use case of blockchain today outside of DeFi, which are NFTs, uh, in different forms and different ways and different reasons and different types. Sure, uh, uh, there are many layered uh, uh, products and services there, uh, but it's huge. Uh, and where did it move? Tezos, uh, because of the low gas fees, among other things. Uh, you know, and the, the more like the long-term expectation of longevity. Uh, so, amongst the most hot, popular NFT marketplaces uh, and used smart contracts are Object.com, Ecatnunk. Uh, uh, Calumint, uh, you know, people didn't kind of see this coming, but it just kind of happened this year. Whereas a year ago, also, we weren't really talking. There were no. A lot of people now are saying, "Oh, Tezos is just all about the DApps that are on it." Uh, whereas a year ago, they were saying, "Oh, yeah, Tezos maybe has the superior technology, but they don't have the DApps." You know, so um, I think uh, you know, and you know, obviously, I'm an enthusiast of a certain blockchain, uh, but I think it's just showing that uh, the industry as a whole is shuffling around. Um, and uh, the market is very small. There are less than a million users per day on Ethereum. You know, that's and still, you know, the most dominant influential force. Uh, so, I mean, how big of a market are we really talking about here? It's very, very small. Um, so we're still deciding, we're still learning, but to, to mark this progress of all of this money, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars now in the DeFi world, uh, that's huge. Whereas it wasn't even 1% of that a year ago. Uh, so, I mean, this is a... This is a very uh, uh, a new time that I think um, we're still building a language to understand uh, and to talk about because it's just this is the earliest part of that curve. Um, but yeah, so and that's why we've been seeing a lot of people come. Not, you know, one thing about the gas fees, but there are people who come to Tezos and then they convert from ETH to ETH Tez, and then their stablecoin uh, to USD Tez, and then they trade those back and forth. Okay, they're very interested in Ethereum and oh, the spot trading and the high frequency trading, but they're not going to do it if, in a decentralized way if they're going to have to be hit with the gas fees. So DeFi does survive; it moves just to the place that it makes more sense, uh, where the critical path is, where uh, you know the least number of switches uh, are occurring. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, that I think uh, I think it's you know for our picture, it's it's pretty rosy. Um, that's what I'd say, uh, and I invite uh, you know banks to to catch along, and some are, some are actually there. We, we don't give that enough credit either. Yeah, that was the big thing too when we're talking about this this uh, title here, because uh, a lot of you do work closely with banks. And Kevin, I think you know when we talked about staking services, one of the uh, the Arab Bank Switzerland also working with you guys there too. So I mean, 
banks work with a lot of these things. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, viewpoints are changing rather quickly uh, in terms of a lot of financial giants embracing crypto. So I don't know if you want to necessarily kill friends here, but uh, Ben, when we're talking about other changing views, there's also regulation that's been changing too. And that's one that's, I mean, it changes very quickly. Uh, and, you know, stable coins have been catching a lot of the attention right now across the board from regulators. And that's interesting just because I feel like it's the easiest one for consumers out there weighing whether or not the opportunity is better in crypto to really compare to something that they might be getting at banks because it's supposed to stay at $1. So you can compare directly the yields that you might get from a bank versus platforms in DeFi or, or, or like uh, what you guys offer. Uh, but when it comes to regulation, I mean, how do you judge, I guess, how regulators are starting to look at uh, what they should be doing about stable coins right now and, and what you see uh, as the future there? Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if I can really judge too much about uh, what regulators are doing, but uh, maybe if I try to read the tea leaves, uh, uh, it seems like there's, uh, of course, a lot of uh, news hitting the headlines. Uh, and I think this kind of scrutiny, uh, there's one aspect where I think it, it, it stokes a lot of uh, concern. Uh, I think there's a lot of uncertainty uh, in our space as a result. Um, but I think there's also an aspect of, of cleaning house that uh, I think can be uh, beneficial long-term. Uh, even actually when I look at short-term di term dynamics, I think some of the, the, the scrutiny and the questions that uh, come to bear on stable coins in particular, uh, while some of it sounds like FUD and rumor mongering, uh, it seems like it might also be a lead generator that we're literally hearing right now of uh, institutions who, you know, might not necessarily have a direct interest in investing in cryptocurrency, but they might want to express certain viewpoints uh, on the future of certain stable coins and as kind of a gateway into participating in this space. Uh, if that's what it takes for them to, you know, start building their first relationships with a trading desk or similar, um, maybe maybe there's some silver lining there. Yeah, and, and Alex, I'm not sure if you want to weigh in too here because I know you've had discussions uh, with regulators before, you know, and everyone uh, has to deal with, with certain questions. Uh, when it comes to what we've heard from the SEC lately, it seems like investor protection is really what uh, we've heard Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, talking about in terms of why he's so worried about not just stable coins, but everything going on in DeFi and crypto. And, you know, I guess there's a question of what that means, investor protections. When it comes to how banks are regulated, of course, disclosures are there to maybe protect against what we saw happen in the, in the financial crisis. So you can argue whether or not any of this stuff is ever good enough to protect against uh, disaster. Um, but when it comes to investor protections in crypto, I think a lot of people would agree it's good to maybe root out scams out there or anything that is fraud. Um, but as you see it, I mean, what are maybe the right things to be uh, addressing when it comes to investor protections and, and making sure that people's money on Celsius, on other networks are actually protected? Yeah, so there's a lot of touch points here. Uh, you know, I think it's very hard for regulators to know who's a good actor and who's a bad actor, right? I mean, they're not experts in the space. Uh, so they're basically blowing the whistle and saying, let's stop the game. Let's figure out who's who. And maybe we'll allow the game to resume uh, under different uh, circumstances, right? So currently, like you said, there is a CFTC, there is a SEC, there, is, there are states. Each one of them is asking different questions. In most cases, they're asking for information. They want to understand what's happening. 
and they're trying to take rules from 1940 and apply those rules to something that didn't even exist uh, five years ago. So, so I think obviously uh, there's a challenge uh, across the board here in uh, uh, bridging this gap and educating regulators, lawmakers, and and uh, uh, you know enforcement agencies into understanding why this is good for consumers, how consumers benefit, and what's the difference between offering it to accredited versus unaccredited investors and things like that. And the rest of the world is watching, right? The rest of the world is uh, trying to follow the SEC or the CFTC. So a lot is at stake. And and I think uh, basically the more we, the community, right, we, the industry, get together and help educate or help bring together best practices, I think the faster we can get across this uncertainty and FUD and actually continue providing uh, these services to the to the people actually looking for them, right? I mean, the solution is uh, uh, that you can earn 10, 20, 50 times more than your bank, and that's what baffling regulators. They don't understand, okay, they're looking at the gap and they're saying, well, somebody is not telling the truth. Somebody is either overpaying or underpaying these customers, right? And the question is really, who is that? Uh, as an example, JP Morgan just reported their numbers, 22 billion in net income, and they're still paying 0.1%. So Jamie Dimon can pay the same percentage as Celsius pays. He just chooses every quarter to take all that profit and give it to his shareholders instead of giving it to his customers. And that's really what we're trying to communicate to regulators. And, and again, every 10 to 15 years, we have to bail out these banks, right? We, the people, have to borrow from the future, go and create more debt for our children and use that money to bail out all the banks who took too much risk. So the current system is just not uh, a viable system, right? Uh, crypto went through two uh, uh, stress tests, flash crashes, May 2021, March 2020. The Fed didn't jump in and save us. We didn't need a, a, a bailout. We didn't need, a, a, you know, like a, a, a re, the repo market to be reflated by by this or that institution. So, so we've tested it out. It works just fine. And I think uh, uh, the Feds and others should just let us continue doing what we're doing instead of trying to make us look like an institution that is failing every 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think we always, you said it so perfectly. It's like, you know, the problem, you know, the benefits going to the shareholders, not to the customers. Like, like these are all the, all the bailouts. Like these are the problems we've always known, but we kind of slept under the rug or it's like, yeah, well, what are you, you going to do about it? Uh, but it's not just that it's, uh, uh, like viable now it's it's feasible like it's it's technologically possible um and and we've gotten practice with it in our ways and now we can apply it to other things things that have been like haunting the traditional institutions including finance including financial regulation uh including uh, uh governance governments of any kind and it's like look this is actually to regulators it's like look this is to meant to make your job easier you know, it's not about like, it's not a threat. It's like the solution. That's why people created it and continue to create it. Like they're just, they're the people have the, maybe the same sentiment as the regulators uh, yeah, yeah. ethically and all of that. I mean, we have, we have to have a functional society um, in which we all collectively agree on things and to make things hum, um, whether or not we put that into pro a program or a constitution, um, uh, you know, it's a network, uh, but also 
like it's not scary it's the answer it's the same people who who believed in the same things you believe but they just engineered something so it's it's finding harmony between those two forces uh that ultimately will happen uh and has started to happen um and there there is a good like you know we also have to appreciate how how good they're getting i feel like there are forces in government that are really starting to understand this stuff and it might come down to this congressperson or that particular you know judge or whatever it's like okay i got you you get it you get how it works just like with the internet it was the same thing um you know like so i think we're we're also thinking about like a new generation that's coming in um and it's not even just about like oh policing this thing and that's i don't think it's the bad guy i think people want regulation just the right regulation uh the ones that make sense um and when it comes to uh banks even there's a whole new generation of young associates going to you know investment banks now uh and like banks never lost money by listening to what the young people are saying you know so uh those executives can get some creative ideas and understanding the future ideas uh and you know that you know young person who just happened to grow up in the crypto generation now starts to lead a team take on in independent initiatives and there's a bunch of those in different bank branches all over the world um you know in different divisions all over the world so you know i think the transition is coming in a steep curve uh and pretty soon we'll be talking about a very different scenario um where there's more built off of like the kind of the coming together um and because we're ending the year now uh i think we should look back into the beginning of the year uh and remember that the the comptroller of the currency just the the off the office of the comptroller put out general guidelines for banks to accept stable coins uh as settlements that happened like that's a huge move do like we are like we so quickly get like such high expectations we forget the state of where we were a year ago uh so like this is like a huge huge rapid moment i think this is the most exciting time uh for anyone who's ever been interested in any of this stuff it's like oh you're looking when it's going to get excited to get in okay right now is something to look at uh you want to stay informed when should you start reading up on this stuff yeah now's a good time now it's getting yeah. really interesting um so so there's a lot of movement to happen uh and uh i think like uh the conversation is really starting uh so we're getting to uh you know you know deeper and deeper levels with this visa had a partnership this year uh, uh they announced with uh with usdc that's a pretty big deal um and then we see all these mainstream artists go on oneof.com um you know a lot of uh you know the influencer types that we considered mainstream and part of the traditional world you know it always starts with media media starts to cover it and then you start to see the rapid follow through because in the product adoption curve uh yeah so like i think it's a that's that's a pretty interesting thing um but yeah yeah so it's an exciting time ahead um you're playing the you're playing the greatest hits of 2021 the highlights so yeah. far and there have been a, yeah. i think it's i think it's pretty I important think it's all though. Gloom, though i think it's a good thing i mean I, maybe yes. i'm just like overly positive about you know what's been happening here but uh i think the transition is 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 great and i think we should keep building on that because um you know it's working and everyone seems to be okay with the progress yeah it's there's a lot of friction along the way who said it wasn't going to be uh but it that's happening that's the good thing that's the uh yeah. the activity we want and oh yes how could we forget el salvador also adopting bitcoin as legal tender i mean there's a lot of hits yep. in 2021 here and ben i mean you kind of were in the remittances game with abra for a long time here too as you mentioned maybe not in el salvador or latin america but with asia i mean there are real problems getting solved 
there are real things happening. And while, you know, there's a lot of in crypto, I mean, the culture here, there's a lot of things that are kind of silly happening all the time. Uh, but there's real stuff in real life getting impacted here that does kind of get overlooked in terms of uh, really trying to help. And I do wonder, I guess, kind of that that back and forth between regulators and really focusing on what problems are getting solved, if it gets lost in the sauce, so to speak, uh, in kind of the progress that crypto has been able to make in 2021, as Kevin highlighted. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, besides kind of the, the, the really attractive headlines, I think that uh, we've garnered in the, the crypto space, uh, not to mention maybe some of the more controversial ones, I think looking underneath the hood, you, you actually see quite a lot of uh, a demand from surprising places. And I, I think that goes to show that there, you know, for, for a long time, there haven't been a lot of financial solutions for people uh, outside of the developed world. Uh, uh, they've oftentimes been beholden to uh, uh, you know, banks of their own uh, or else uh, uh, restrictions uh, uh, in the domains that they, uh, uh, that they exist. Uh, and so uh, I think one thing that continues to surprise me when I look at our own stats is the, the proportion of representation from uh, developing market countries. Uh, and I think, you know, ease of use isn't just something that belongs to uh, uh, the U.S. and Western Europe. Uh, I, I'd like to think that the, the work that we're, we're doing to develop uh, kind of probably the, the stuff that garners a lot less headlines uh, is making you know, a difference for individuals. Uh, and so if I had to trace the path from where we've, where we've come from, right, the ABRA was initially developed to cater to C2C remittances to where we are today. While uh, I think uh, uh, the nature of the usage case has changed a lot, a lot of people overtly want access to crypto. Uh, I would say a lot of the tools uh, uh, that we put in place to facilitate that have been very much uh, kind of the, 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 the kernel uh, to make this stuff accessible. So uh, uh, I think the title of this chat was sort of uh, killing killing banks. And I, I think in one way we're, you know, we're, we're doing a lot to, to, in fact, partner with them. I think it's also partnering with other aspects of uh, the legacy uh, uh, ecosystem to try to actually solve real world problems, to give users what they want. Yeah, and that, I mean, what they want. Go ahead, Alex. It sounds like you want to jump in here. You know much better than I do about what consumers themselves want. Yeah, to add to what Ben was saying, the the uh, the people who are killing the small banks are the big banks. It's not the crypto world, right? I mean, small banks cannot make any money uh, taking deposits and then giving it to the Fed, right? Large banks have other activities. They have sec lending. They have all kind of other things that they do, derivatives and so on. And really what happened here is that the Fed had to lower rates to zero in order to, for us to basically uh, reflate the economy, right? Uh, get out of uh, this COVID uh, recession. Uh, and uh, they had to print trillions of dollars to do that. And the, the main people who are suffering are retirees and small banks who cannot st uh, stay playing in this business, right? So, so what you're gonna have, what you're gonna end up with are countries who have their own uh, CBDCs or uh, central bank digital currencies like China and others like Nigeria just uh, issued uh, the e-Naira uh, just a few days ago, right? Replacing its, uh, uh, you know, fiat currency. And so you're going to have that as one of the kind of like, uh, it's a, if you think about it as a ra the car race, right? That's the first car that's already out of the gate, right? And we have Bitcoin, Ethereum kind of competing for the open standard 
of uh, of uh, banking, and then the third option is going to be corporate uh, stable coins and corporate solutions like J.P. Morgan and others are trying to create. So, so it's not clear just because the internet won the last race and we are all cheering for open source and open standards and we're all kind of supporting that doesn't mean it's going to win this time. You know, we may find out in ten or twenty years that the uh, you know, the, the digital yuan is the reserve currency of the world. And because all of us, we the people, did not adopt, did not support uh, Bitcoin or Tezos or any other blockchain, uh, we ended up with a solution that uh, none of us really like, right? So, so we have to vote with our wallets in what is in our best interest, right? And if all of us around the world, just like we all voted for Voice of IP, and that's what we're using uh, this chat right now for free. If we voted for AT&T, we would be paying probably a hundred dollars to do this video conference, you know? So, so we, we, the solution is at hand. The future is here, right? But we need to leave the past behind and we cannot migrate from one monopoly, which is the banking monopoly to a government monopoly, right? That's what we really need to fight against. Kevin, you're making eye glances there, so I don't know if that means you want to jump in here or not. But uh... no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like <laughs> sort out in my mind uh, between like I agree with that, not that. Like, yeah, there's a lot of there's know, a lot of nuance. Like, well, that part, there. but not that part. Uh, well, I think what's interesting here too, and we're talking about the global piece of this, we all know that uh, central bank digital currencies are coming. But I mean, the Fed's been talking about it for the digital dollar and what that could do for kind of everything else here. And we've seen stable coins take off this year. We know that digital, uh, you know, Chinese yuan is going to come out too. And we know that there's the Olympics built around really getting it off the ground. Uh, there are, of course, a lot of questions in terms of national security to, I suppose, address there. But I don't want to get into that because that sounds less exciting. Uh, but when we talk about maybe some of the things here between DeFi and centralized crypto institutions, since we have both of you guys here, uh, Kevin and Alex, one of the things that people talk about uh, in terms of DeFi is, I guess, the clarity of knowing and seeing all the analytics uh, out there. And we talk about potential risks. I don't know if that really matters to some people out there versus you know the traditional banking system. But um, it does seem like one point of nuance in terms of two different strategies to take on or kill banks right now. Well, the trans transparency is definitely a, a whole new paradigm, right? So, so I think uh, most people just don't have the tools uh, to sift through all of that data and figure out, uh, did this protocol pay out properly? Did the people get li liquidated properly? Uh, like today, you were talking about. I think Cream got uh, creamed today for a hundred million dollars, right? So, uh, what happened there? Was that a rug pull? Was that a scam? Was that a, a flash loan? Right? Again, most of the participants of that pool are not going to know what happened there, right? So, so what Celsius tried to do is really uh, take all the information uh, about our transaction, uh, anonymize it, and then give it to you as a user of the platform, right? So you can, with zero, zero knowledge proof, verify that if you are 1% of the Bitcoin pool, you earn 1% of the yield. That if you are 5% of the ETH pool, you earn 5% of the ETH and you are treated equally to everybody else. And, and that's really what you want. You want the output, not uh, uh, you know, a PhD in data science with the ability to swim through the data lake and collect all that data and figure out if you're being treated equally. So, 
So again, 1% of the population can do that. And, and there'll be the geeks uh, swimming in all of the DeFi stuff, but the 99% is just looking for utility. They're basically looking to transition from the bank utility that abuses their rights, that charges them crazy fees, uh, to a utility that acts in their best interest, right? And that's really what Celsius is trying to build, the future that Celsius is building for hundreds of millions of people. Um, I, I want to add, uh, so here's, all right. So I think of DeFi and everything that it is, uh, at the series of projects is one way of looking at it, uh, of protocols, of um, a lot of little elements that we don't really necessarily consider part of the DeFi uh, uh, equation, but they are, uh, as just a, a series of iterative um, motions, like it, it get, like frictions being removed certain things being automated. Um, like it's not really stoppable. It's just kind of, and it's not something that really can, you know, I'm careful how I say this. Uh, so, you know, you know, it's, it's basically, uh, it can't really be regulated. And if it can be regulated, it's very, very difficult to enforce. And so at least if the, if the goal is to accomplish a task, um, whatever the task of whatever the, the point of the regulation, whatever we're talking about is, uh, uh, certainly you don't want to make the problem worse. Um, you know, you can't just irritate the wound, uh, and expect it to get better or the zit. <laughs> like, uh, there, there, there's a, there's a process here and you, you know, it's okay. You come to the table, figure out what this is and, and how you can do a better job. So I, so that's why I think so positively of it. Um, but uh, you know, it, this is a resource. It's just open is a resource, and open does always win. Um, you know, there was a time when you know this kind of a conference. What you're watching, whoever's watching this right now, um, who probably feels the title was clickbait. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there was a time when this was running on Flash, Adobe Flash, and that was the only way you could ever watch any video on the internet. You know, and that was everything. And there was a time when it was 98.7% of all uh, uh, video on the internet for years <laughs> was powered by Adobe Flash. And then you know, Apple was like, you know what? No, we're going to go with HTML5. And then uh, it's like, oh, wow, how could he say that? Or wait, is he actually, are they sticking up for open? Well, open wins ultimately. Open, again, eventually it's better for all actors uh, uh, to be within, you know, some some open world where, there is that element of self-regulation uh, that we have to appreciate as well. Um, yeah. You know, doing good on a citizen level. That's never been uh, uh, shunned by, I think, regulators. Uh, uh, I think that's always been applauded. Um, and that's why assembly is a good thing. And we're doing that with uh, a new sense of uh, digital commonwealth on Tezos. Uh, but uh, I think that overall is the spirit of where crypto and DeFi is. So I don't think it's necessary to have what would be a centralized component in order to uh, grant lawmakers and large conservative banks that sense of assurance. I think the technology can be the answer because it can be both uh, the stable source of governance in as much as it is for the technology and for the data and the tamper-proof transactions and all of that, uh, you know, uh, and more things to come. Um, I mean, but, I mean uh, yeah. it makes sense because, you know, you're talking about what kills banks. And I guess to both of your guys' points, the optionality, the options of having these things basically opens the door. Bitcoin opened the door and then everything else that came after it opened the door to, to kill banks because you have another option out there. And it's kind of when we're talking about 
whether it's DeFi or what is being built out of more centralized uh, lending uh, institutions here in the crypto world is, is, is that there is another option and there hadn't been for so many years. And so I guess, you know, that optionality is one thing. Uh, this metaphor is tired now at this point, but a weapon here uh, in, in the metaphor. But uh, the optionality here, and to wrap up, I suppose, since you shot out uh, the potential clickbait here, we do need to deliver on our title here, which is, of course, we said how. But I guess the major question here is when. And we've, we've kind of documented a lot of progress here in 2021 as well. But if we were to kind of lay out your guys' timeline to wrap up here, uh, when do you see banks dying? Well, I think traditional banks, uh, the banks that are, don't want to change, or the bad banks, I call them, uh, it's still going to take 20 or 30 years, right? It's not going to be overnight. But uh, I think yeah. there, you're going to find uh, uh, neobanks that are going to embrace uh, all of these new rails, and they're going to provide uh, very sophisticated solutions to their customers. And they're going to thrive, right? Because uh, they have the same capabilities, you know, to Kevin's point, they have the same open source access that we do or anyone else, right? So the question is, the competition is going to be over who delivers uh, the most value to their customers, who treats their customers best. But this time, the, the fight is over all the money in the world and the fight is global, right? I mean, the service we provide is consumed by uh, over 200 different countries, people in 200 different countries. So it's a different fight. It's not about being a local bank in New Jersey trying to compete with, um, you know, Chase or with uh, JP Morgan or somebody else. Well, that's a good place to, to leave it since we're up against our hard stop time. I just had to add my name against murder there because, Kevin, you changed yours like five times during this and I wanted to catch up and show I could do it, too. But uh, I'm also not none of us here condone murder. That's just How do we change our names to go fast? <laughs> I, I feel like I need to put some Aber branding in mine. Oh, you got it on the top here. You had it the whole time. <laughs> it all looked good. But no, thanks, guys, for coming on here to chat. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, learning a little bit more about how lending and crypto aim to kill banks. Uh, appreciate you guys watching here at the LA Blockchain Summit. Uh, thanks again. All right. Good meeting you. Take care, guys.